Do you own a small firm? Or if you don't own a firm, would you like to start one? Paget gives firm owners all the benefits of owning a small firm, plus the backing, playbook, and confidence that comes with being backed by a large firm. Stay tuned to hear more about Paget later in the episode. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Well, hello and welcome to another Federal Tax Update podcast. I am Roger Harris, and as always, I am joined by Annie Schwab. So, Annie, how are you doing hello, today? Hello, everyone. I'm good. I'm good. We're approaching the end of tax season, so I've got a smile on my face. I hope everybody out there feels the same way. You know, when we started doing these, I thought, you know, gosh, it's going to be hard to find something to talk about every two weeks. But the tax world and the compliance world never seems to fail to deliver. So I think we have another full agenda today. And we're going to start with something that we kind of teased a a podcast ago or a couple ago, which is the Corporate Transparency Act of 2021. Now, Annie, why in the world would we talk about that on a Federal Tax Updates podcast? And what does it have to do with our clients, ourselves, whatever? So this was an act that not did not get a lot of attention at the time back in 2020, but um, it was passed in 2020, and it still at this time only has minimal guidance. But the scary part is that it takes effect and will affect small business owners, lots of small business owners, beginning in January of 2024. So while didn't catch a lot of media. It hasn't really been talked about much. Most small business owners don't even know that it exists. Of course, a lot of their heads are down in tax season, but it sure. is something that is going to impact a lot of owners. Um, so we're here today to kind of tell you what we know, um, indicate what we don't have final guidance on, and then also give you some tips for talking to your your clients, your small business owners, et cetera. Yeah, because it's... Um... It's part of this whole FinCEN and chasing down foreign accounts and things like that. I want to start by giving AICPA credit. They they were the first group to kind of mm-hmm. recognize that this was fast approaching, and yet the recognition, awareness, whatever you want to call it about it, was almost zero. And uh, yeah. you're going to hear a lot from them and a group that they've put together, but We've started getting questions. Um, there's been some articles written. So we thought it's maybe a little break from tax season, but it's just <laughs> going to be just as relevant because, as you'll hear as we go through this, the penalties for noncompliance are pretty astronomical. So um, Penalties we generally start? come from – well, we can, we can start with sort of – let's start with the penalties in FinCEN. Well, the, the, the whole yeah. purpose of this um, – so it's, again, corporate. Transparency Act of 2020. Sometimes you'll see it referred to as the CTA. Um, but anyway, it, the goal of it was to strengthen any anti, anti-money laundering regimes by increasing transparency. And that basically means requiring numerous, numerous business entities to report their beneficial owners, and we'll talk about what that actually is, um, to report who their beneficial owners are for the very first time. Um, there's going to be some companies that are exempt, some um, small business owners that may find this cumbersome, so to say, but it was put out by what's called FinCEN, and we'll talk about that. 
Um, we'll explain what we know as a definition of a beneficial owner, who needs to be filing these reports, what do these reports look like, and then what happens if you don't file the reports. And, and Roger, you mentioned that the penalties for this are extreme, and that's not surprising. Most of the time, penalties that come out from any sort of foreign reco reporting requirement are high. So I'll tell you, FinCEN is the U.S. Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. Bunch of words there, but um, it's been around. This is not new. Pinson's been around Pinson's for a, not a long new. time. No, it's been there no. for a while. Right, right. I, I guess this is in response to evidently there's a lot of evidence that a lot of the money laundering happens through kind of shell or fake businesses, maybe is mm -hmm. the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. And what makes this rule unusual to a lot of them that we face when we're dealing with small businesses, we usually assume there's an exception. For the smallest of small businesses. That, yeah, for the little that, guy. <laughs> oh, I don't have to worry about that. My, my clients are small. Actually, the exception in this bill is for large companies. So it applies to all small businesses. The one caveat that we'll, we'll need to make sure you understand, it's, it's businesses that are registered or set up with the state. So your sole proprietor, for example, is exempt. But right. if it's... Uh, a corporation, LLC, or anything else your state may require to register with the state to be set up, this bill applies to them no matter how small they are. Again, yeah. we'll talk about how big they could be to get out of it, but the small businesses don't get out of it by being small. They actually are, I guess, the target. Yeah. And I mean, basically, they're collecting you know, basic information like the business name, the address, the state you were formed, of course, your EIN. Um, but they're also wanting, as particular as it might sound, is like the name, the date of birth, the address of maybe a government-issued photo ID, driver's license number-ish thing of all of these direct or indirect beneficial owners. And I know that seems broad and vague, direct or indirect beneficial owners of the entity, but but we'll we'll get into that as well. But it's it's um, we haven't seen the report. The report is not out. They're in the process of creating it. So I can't tell you if it's three pages, if it's a page, if it's, you know, multiple questions, complex instructions for the form. We, ha we haven't seen it. Um, we do expect the FinCEN to publish, I guess, a proposed report, um, hopefully before January 1. That would be nice, <laughs> given it yeah. comes into effect on January 1. But they're supposed to post it relatively soon and then ask for public comment, which is a normal process. Yeah. I mean, again, this was passed in 2021. We're sitting here in <laughs> April of 2023. There's been some kind of leaks of maybe what a draft looks like, but uh, yeah. a lot of the things we're going to raise today are questions that you might have. Probably there's no answer to today because <laughs> the final forms and rules and everything are not available. Right. Let's start the discussion by showing you why you need to care, and that is that why the should penalty— you care? <laughs> The penalty for not complying with this law is $500 per day, up to $10,000, and potentially two years imprisonment. So if that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what does. Now, so it's serious. It's, it's, I guess mm -hmm, it's, mm -hmm. you know, when you get into FinCEN, everything they do is serious. I mean, the, yeah. the, the other things that you have to file with them carry these same kinds of penalties. Same penalties, and, yeah. So. So it's serious. It's something that we have to do. So knowing that that's the penalty, 
kind of Annie, talk about when, <laughs> you've mentioned it briefly. When does it start? And it really starts differently based on which group you fall in. Right. Okay. So the rules, the the act itself comes into effect January 1st of 2024. And that's for any company, a reporting company, and we'll tell you who those companies are, whether you're existing or just existing or you registered before January 1. And you have to file that initial report by the following January. So that that seems pretty fair. Now, pretty you know, reasonable. depending on yeah. where, where you have to gather the information, if that's at your fingertips or not, will be different. But if you are a reporting company created after the first of the year, then you have to file this report within 30 calendar days. 30 days is a pretty fast deadline, in my opinion, for you for a new business getting started to be aware of it, one, to complete the forms, get the information, and then send it in. And then, of course, they have all these stipulations, you know, make a change or you add something or you, you know, switch the entity owner or, or contact or, you know, all of these things. Again, you have 30 days to make those changes. How you yeah. make the changes, no, no guidance yet on that. Yeah, what um, that form looks like. But that's yeah. an important distinction because what I expect we'll see at the end of 2025 is this massive number of people yes. finally becoming aware of it that Panic. were in existence prior to January 1st of 2025 trying to catch mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. But all during 2025, to Annie's point, if you form a new LLC or form a new S-Corp or whatever you do, right. then you've only got 30 days. So. Uh, you can't ignore it until the end of 2025 unless you don't Correct. ever help. And, and we'll talk a little bit about some problems and why those of you that help set up these entities might want to reconsider or certainly be aware of this. So so the deadline, I mean, I guess the start date is January 1st of 2024. Right. And for new startups, that means 30 days for businesses mm -hmm. in place before the end of the year. You do have all of 2025. So some cases Correct. you've got a good bit of lead time. In some cases, it's full bore come January 1st. Yeah, and I think, Roger, you, like to your point, all of a sudden I feel like everybody's going to go into panic mode of getting these forms because the penalties are so steep. But right now, I mean, I've seen very few articles. I've seen a couple that were like the countdown to the Corporate Transparency Act or small business owners, you know, need to be aware and prepare for this. but Overall, I, I mean, that's coming from like accounting today or AICPA or, or, you know, in general, I really don't think many people know about it. And I don't think they're going to pull their heads out of tax season, you know, until the summer. That would be the time to really start communicating, in my opinion, to get yeah. people ready, aware. Um, and, and you hope so we'll that see. when something like this comes out and it's new and, and again, I don't know what kind of plan they're going to have to educate people, uh, you know, you would hope given the severity of the penalties, that they're going to right. do something to to really try to get the word out. But, you know, very little. We're beginning to see some articles. There's beginning to be a little more awareness. So there's a little bit more being talked about, but nothing, you know, across the board. I don't know if it'll be a big topic or those of us that go get our education at tax conferences, because, I mean, it, it, does it fall under the tax world? I don't know. Federal tax does. update? Maybe it I don't know. So I don't know how they're going to get the word out. That's part of the bill is to, to educate people, but it hasn't really started. Again, it's just trickling out, if you will, mm -hmm, right now, mm -hmm. but nothing nothing too serious. So 
it's here, it's coming. So I let, you know what the penalty is, you know what the start dates are. So let's get into How about who's affected. <laughs> what what Who businesses? And to? again, it's going to be most of your small. The broad mm-hmm. definition is small businesses that are red. Or well, it's not, it doesn't say small businesses. It says businesses that are registered or set up with the state. So LLC. Who doesn't have to do it then? We mentioned sole proprietors. <laughs> Maybe that's who, the easiest way. <laughs> It yeah. applies to you unless you're specifically excluded. Well, let me tell you, uh, let me get into a little bit of the details about it. And so basically the reporting is for all individuals who have substantial control directly or indirectly for the company. Um, and that substantial definition generally falls on 25% or more of the ownership or control of the company. So, I mean, that, that's Less vague, but like you said, right. I think we were discussing earlier, even if you have zero ownership, but you have the ability to make, I would say, executive decisions, how would you term that? Yeah, they talk about that. We're into the definition of a beneficial owner, and yeah. some of that's easy to determine. Some of it's a little more difficult. 25% ownership is clearly defined yeah, as right. beneficial mm-hmm. ownership. So that one, right. that one is easy. 25 or uh, more, yep. 25 or more. There's also certain officers, if that's the right term, yeah. that are covered. So a senior officer, as it's described, which is the president, the CFO, the general counsel, the CEO, the chief operating officer, and any other officer who performs similar functions, whatever that means. Uh, right. So it's going to cover most people. Then it gets into some other kind of interesting descriptions. Right. Mm-hmm. You could not have one of those titles. You could not be a 25% owner. But if the individual has authority over the appointment or removal of any senior officer, you're a beneficial owner. And if you have power over the direction or determination or substantial influence over important reporting company decisions. So that's where it gets a little murky and where we hope we mm-hmm. can get some guidance as to right. what is an important decision. Right. I think obviously, that's what I was saying. If, go ahead. If you're dealing with the money, which is what they're chasing, then yeah. they're probably going to consider that. that an important decision. Because again, go back and remember why we're doing this. We're trying to keep up with and catch all the theoretical money that's being filtered through small businesses and tried to get cleaned up and into the system. So if you have the ability to make a decision on those sorts of things, you probably would fall as one of the need to be listed that has to be disclosed, if you will. Mm-hmm. And and catch this, Roger. There's oh, I have it written down right here, so I'm just going to read it. But it says <laughs> all right. also anyone who actually files the documents that created the company, like a lawyer, paralegal, other staff, attorney. I mean. You must also have their information and report it. So that right there no. tells me <laughs> I certainly, as a CPA, do not want to start putting my name on all of these these forms. For sure, not me. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of you that are listening probably have helped your clients because pay particular attention to what Annie just said. Help your clients set up an LLC, set up uh, maybe a corporation or, you know, you do something, you know, because it seems like it's a simple thing to do. But now you really got to think about it because you're part of the disclosure requirement. If you do that, then you you are considered, what do they call it, a reporting 
agent or something? Uh, I, I think so. What. Reporting agent, um, beneficial owner. Let's see if I had that written down. I didn't write it down. I don't know it's what It's the they reporting call it. company, so you're a reporting agent for them. You're the reporting agent for the reporting mm-hmm. company. So right. you now are part of that. So if you helped set it up initially, or if you do that for a fee going forward, then you're going to have to you know, file this form, first of all, within 30 days of doing the setup, include your information about yourself as part of the reporting company. Mm-hmm. And then your response, because the other thing, and I don't know that we've said this, I hope I'm not repeating ourselves, but not only you have to do it when the company is set up, but if there's any change in beneficial ownership. So let's say. And you only you, get 30 days for that, too. You get 30 days for that. So if you bring in a new officer or something or you sell 26% of the ownership to somebody else, you got to correct the file. You got to not correct it. It wasn't incorrect. Update it. You you have to update the filing and the 30-day clock ticks there. And again, you're there as the reporting agent. So that burden could be potentially, and again, we're speculating here because we don't have all the guidance, Right. could fall on you and subject you to the penalty as well. So. You really need and, to revisit the idea of doing this. And, I, and we've also begun to hear something. There's always been a certain group of people who thought accountants doing that were getting close to practicing law. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that makes some of the lawyers unhappy because that's money that they would be getting that they're not. And this may be another reason for them to revisit is, is setting up a company now because of this added requirement potentially the practice of law. And so I don't know. It's not something I ever thought about doing and wanted to do. It, I had plenty of other things to do that I knew <laughs> how to do and fell into my area of expertise that forming entities wasn't one. Now I really don't want to do it because I don't want yeah, to be responsible and, for keeping up with all this. And what if like the next year you're no longer going to be their reporting agent? Like how do you get your name off? How do you keep yourself from staying on these, you know, Yeah, that's, forms. A, that's a great point because you're there. Let's say you yeah, choose to disengage the like, client, you know, forever. And this happens, what? all of us do it. We, you know, I don't want to do anything with you anymore. I think, and I'm again, I'm guessing here because we don't have full guidance, you would have to file a form to replace you as the reporting agent Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you could be sitting there subject to penalties down the road when the next person behind you fails to meet the 30-day rule or whatever, and you're still listed as a reporting agent. So disengaging from a client, or if a client disengages from you, making sure you're removed from that report as the reporting agent. So it's yeah. it's got some long legs and potentially some mm-hmm. hefty penalties. Hi, I'm Jeff Phillips, CEO of Paget. We've been helping firm owners grow the right way for over 50 years by providing marketing, technology, and of course, tax support. It's like hiring another 20 people who help you run your firm, but for a tiny fraction of the cost. And if you like this podcast, remember that these are two of the national team leaders at Paget that exist to support Paget firm owners. So to learn more, visit pagetadvisors.com slash podcast or pagetadvisors.com slash podcast now, let's get back to my colleagues, Roger and Annie, for the federal tax updates. Yeah. 
And you mentioned there are some um, exempt groups, right. and and oddly enough, it's the larger companies. I think it's twenty right. or more full time employees and more than five, $5 million dollars. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I think they have to have a physical presence in the U.S. and right. a couple of things. And and I question. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And then as I started to think through it, it's because probably these larger companies are already doing such reporting. Like right. they're already collecting the information on these guys because they're they're so big and they have uh, you know extra reporting requirements and so they they don't need to fill out this the the government's already got the information I, I don't know yeah. maybe maybe I'm wrong there but no I, I think you're exactly right there are some the statute actually exempted I think there are twelve or thirteen businesses and if you look at them the one thing that's consistent throughout all of them is that this kind of information is already being furnished somewhere into the system. So that they can look up and find out. There, there's some exceptions, even for accounting firms, if they're registered with the state. So, uh, again, don't. Uh, my caution to those of you listening: don't focus on the exemptions because they're pretty narrow. Unless mm -hmm. you, you are in a business where, like, if you're a publicly traded company, then obviously, right, that's obvious. all this stuff is known. We don't. Well, I don't know. I was going to say we don't deal with many public credit companies. I don't, but I can't speak to the audience. Right, right. But assume that most of your companies, if they're set up through your state, are going to have to do this. And you need to really think about the role you want to play beyond advisor mm -hmm. in this mm -hmm. process. Because the money might look good for setting up an LLC and being the advisor but think mm -hmm. down the road, if at some point down the road, either you disengage the client, the client disengages you, you're still listed yeah. as the reporting agent or whatever, you know, and what's the process? And, you know, again, we don't know the answer to a lot of this. I mean, do you have to get the client you disengage to allow you off or can they force you to stay on without their, right. who knows what this is going to be. So remember, starting next year, if you choose to jump into this, it may be easier to get in than to get out. We don't know. So thank you. Yeah, about and it. you know, I was just I was just sitting here thinking, when in doubt, like this is one of the times when in doubt, you just file the form, right? I mean, yeah. if you're unsure if you meet an exception or if if someone needs to be listed, I mean, I when in doubt, list the person. When in doubt, file the form, you know, talk to your clients about it. I would assume you know, in my practice, I would assume that all of my small business clients, unless they're just Schedule C people, are going to have to fill out the form. And I'd rather fill it out when it's not needed than have to do, have to deal with notices or, or penalties. Yeah. It's just tough. It's a tough position to be in. But we're assuming so. that the report is going to require a lot of information from all of these people. So I don't know that we, how yeah. many of our Don't wait till last officers, minute. Yeah. You know, because you, as, as Annie said, you know, you're going to need their name, address, date of birth. They want Again, a driver's license. It, yeah, driver's license. And this is mm -hmm. all kind of reading between the lines of what it's going to be. The FinCEN has, has not put out the final form. And, right. You know, you could have a small business with 10 partners or 10 shareholders and all that's got to be factored in here. And, and again, if one of them changes and how often are you aware of some of the changes that could happen? And again, yeah. 30 days, that's the clock is ticking pretty quickly. So, and we have no idea if you discovered it on the 45th day, is there a process what by happens? which you can, because uh, it's 30 days, 30 days and day 31, you know, you're done. You get a penalty. 
So, you know, and again, we don't know, given that this thing passed in 2021 and we're sitting here in 2023 and we're just it now passed hearing in 2020. about it. Yeah, it actually passed in 2020. Yeah. Um, yeah. What kind of leeway will they give us next year? Uh, there's just no way in the world that yeah. every small business owner across America is going to know about this. And be You're ready gonna for it. It's going to take... It's going to take these companies to develop internal policies and procedures for gathering the information, for identifying their owners, making changes to it. Um, right. I don't know. Monitor the changes and resubmit the forms. And, and this is an all. And it's not like a one-time deal. I mean, this is something that needs to be part of uh, the practice of running a small business because. Right. Uh, Great it's point. Not, I don't think it's going away. I really it's don't. It's <laughs> not just a 2025 problem. No, it's, it's not. A, it starts it's in not. 2025, but it, uh, unless the legislation is repealed, it's going to be with us as long as you, you meet the definition and you mm -hmm. have a, any kind of changeover. Again, we're hoping, and, and again, I'll, uh, AICPA and some other accounting associations and groups, including us, uh, are, are working on how do we make more and more people aware. But if all of the accountants that listen to this podcast or attend webinars or go to first-class tax conferences that would cover this, it's still probably only half or let's go crazy and say two-thirds of the profession. Where is the other third going to learn about this and how are the people they represent going to learn about this? So right. I see potentially some real problems at the end of 2025 Mm -hmm. With a lot of small businesses out of just pure ignorance, and I don't mean they're ignorant, they just are ignorant of the rules, being in noncompliance with something that evidently is pretty serious. Yeah. 500 a day, dollars a day is a, a lot. <laughs> that adds up. $10,000. So, Nobody wants to do that. So, I, you know, I've, we wanted to make you aware of it. You couldn't file mm -hmm. the form today if you wanted to. So, Correct. there's nothing and we you don't can even do know. now. You think the software is going to have this form? I mean, it's I not like know, something yeah. that goes with an annual return. So, no, I mean, you might not, have to. It's not really part of the tax process because it can happen no. anytime. So, right. And so, I don't know that I we can know. rely on our tax software. Maybe somewhere. That's why I said I don't even know if it'll be covered in our tax education opportunities because it's not really a tax issue. Um, no, it's, I mean, now maybe they would do something. Know. You know, you've got the question on the tax return about, you know, foreign investment and filing that. Maybe if you right. file an LLC or an S-Corp, they could add a question on the form to say, have you filed whatever this thing will be to at least use that as, in fact, I think that would be a, a really baseline. good idea, you know, to at least ask the question on the tax return, have you done this as an education tool? They should have yeah, added it already. Bring awareness. Yeah. Right, because if you don't answer the box, your software is not going to let you file. So at least you have to have that conversation of well, what is this? Why do I answer yes or no? And what do you maybe do that'll... if you answer no yeah. in twenty twenty six when you should have said mm -hmm. yes? You know, are you How turning you yourself in? And... and what if you don't? I don't know. So a yeah. lot to be learned, but it's serious. It's expensive if you don't do it. It brings great potential liability to the practitioner community, which is why we wanted to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, but. I don't, Think about it, though. If if you as a practitioner know about this and are communicating with your clients, it's also giving you a leg up for those out there that don't know about this. Right. I mean, there's there's that aspect of it as well. And there are a lot of them that don't know about it. An awful Absolutely. Lot Absolutely. I'll have to admit, I didn't know much about it until I didn't. 
maybe a month ago or something, and all of a sudden it gets on your radar, and then you start looking at it, and you go, man, <laughs> this is You asked me what it here. was, and I shrugged my shoulders. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you can feel smart when you first learn about it, because nobody knows about it. So you can say, hey, you ever heard <laughs> of the Corporate Transparency Act? And they go, what are you talking about? Well, yeah, exactly. you will learn it. Any well, last I, pieces on this? Anything no, else? No, I'm just, I'm, I just, like you said, bring awareness to it. Keep it on your radar. Start thinking about it. Talk to your clients about it and cross your fingers that the forms come out sooner than later for public comment, that we get additional guidance. The instructions come out and we're not waiting till the last minute to know exactly what we need to collect and how to report and, you know. And and we'll we'll keep you posted. We're about to talk about something that we've talked about on every single webinar, and <laughs> every single podcast, and this you know this, this corporate transparency act might be something that we bring up on on all future podcasts. You know, just to get right. the word and out. Watch, I'm sure webinar. You know, once more comes out, there'll be webinars on it. So build it into your education routine for the rest mm-hmm. of this year. I'm sure yeah. once more gets out there. A lot of the people who provide professional education will will start offering courses on it. And we'll all Absolutely. have to take it because it's going to be new to all of us. Exactly. exactly. Be careful who calls themselves an expert because nobody's done this before. Oh, so. yeah, that's true. That's so, true. Experts in the eye of the beholder. All right. All right. Well, as always, Where are we, we going like now? to talk about some, some highlights, some what's going on, what came out new since our last podcast, and because it's... The topic of the year, or the last three years, I guess I should say. Let's let's revisit ERC and where are we today, Roger? Yeah, ERC. We, yeah, we got some questions after our last podcast when we told mm-hmm. you that the IRS had issued guidance on uh, what we need to do or should do or shouldn't do, and it relates to amending the returns. Again, as background, if you don't know, if your client got the ERC part of the law. In addition to getting the monies, you have to go back and amend the return and reduce the wage expense for the year that you use the wages to qualify for the ERC. So something in 20 or 21, you have to amend and send the government some of that money back in the form of higher net income. There were concerns raised by the practitioner community about what if I know that those returns or those uh, 941Xs or the claim for the credit were wrong. And the IRS came out and we had, we mentioned, I think, on our last podcast mm-hmm. that they said you should not, you should tell the client you believe the ERC claim that they, money they got, they shouldn't have gotten. And you are not going to amend the return because the IRS has determined if you do, you are perpetuating the claim. So we did the podcast and we started getting a lot of questions is, well, mm-hmm. what does that mean I do? I feel like I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. And you are. You are, yeah. Yeah, because it's the unfortunate, client wants but to, yes. The client wants to do the right thing and you're telling them you won't do it because you don't think some other person who the client trusted did them wrong. And that's so, what the ERC mills, if you hear that term, that's what those ERC mills were coming out very aggressive, talking to clients, telling them they qualify, getting them the credit, and then off they go with their percentage of the fee or whatever it is. And then that shows up on your doorstep as a preparer and you're looking at it. Now, I don't know how you would know, which is the term that they use, you know that it's incorrect. I mean, there I I can think of a couple of scenarios probably that, you know, if you let's say you use the wages for a PPP loan, well, you can't double dip for employee retention credit. So clearly that would be a no. But a lot of it's based on facts and circumstances and supply chain issues and 
if this, then that. So it's not probably not as clear cut as as you would think. But if it shows up on your doorstep and and you didn't prepare the the claim itself and you know that it's wrong or strongly believe that it's not accurate, you're supposed to literally step away from the engagement right. um, and not and not do the return. The now, end of as you would expect, the IRS didn't answer the question that everybody has. What do I do? So <laughs> yeah. we don't we, we can't quote the IRS. So you're going to get the Annie and Roger, what we would do Version. in this situation. <laughs> yeah which I'll give you mine first, and then you can either add to it or tell me I'm crazy and give me a dead <laughs> one. But the first thing I would do is explain to them why I can't do it, because I believe mm-hmm. it's incorrect. Mm-hmm. And I would send them back to the company that did the ERC claim to begin with. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know if any of these mills even offer income tax preparation or if they're just doing payroll. So that may be sending them to somebody who says, we don't do that. So, yeah, or they're not even there anymore. I, I imagine yeah, some of these ERC mills are closing down shop and going, you know, quiet. Yeah. Once the money runs out, they'll be gone. They may still be yeah. there now because the money's still available. But yeah, so you, you first thing is you send them back to a place that maybe isn't a solution. So, but that's the first thing I would tell them. Go back to the person yeah. who did the claim, ask them to do it because they, it's their claim. They shouldn't be afraid of perpetuating yeah. it any further. Right. Um, the second choice would be go send them back to that person and say, give me more information to make me comfortable that this claim was valid. And to your example, mm-hmm. if you it appears you use the PPP loan wages for the ERC, ask them for documentation to prove that that's not what they yeah, did. Yeah, that's fair. that's fair. Of course, if they do that, then you're going to send them back again because then you know it's wrong. <laughs> so you're still going to send yeah. them back to there. Yeah. And Beyond that, you can just sit back and see if the IRS changes any of the guidance. Because it seems kind of—I was in Washington last week meeting with some people on the Hill, and I actually talked about this. They seem shocked that the IRS said that, because if you think about it, amending the tax returns actually helps the claim be less damaging to the government. Because if they got 200,000 ERC claims— and the amended return would produce $20,000 in income tax. The IRS <laughs> has just said to the business owner, keep the whole 200 or, or send the whole 200 back, which is back, really your first, back. and I got it wrong. The first thing you should say is, let me fix it, which means you got to send all the money back. Yeah. I mean, which they probably don't have anymore, right? Because Well, they certainly the don't have was, the part they didn't get. Well, right. If they if the claim was $50,000 or something and they paid ten. To the ERC mill, well, even if they were sitting on the forty, they still don't have all the fifty to send back. Right. You know, well, I don't know. I mean, that's your first duty because that's true in any situation where you're presented to with make a it tax right. issue that isn't correct. The first thing you should do is tell the client how to fix it. You know, you can fix it. You can go back and reamend the nine forty one, send the money back, and explain to them the the potential damages if they don't. Mm-hmm. They're going to ask you for the next option after that one because yeah, nobody they, wants that one. <laughs> they're they're not going to be thrilled about that one. That's when you would then send them back to the mill for either the mill to prepare the amended returns, so they're perpetuating their own claim, or furnishing additional proof to you that makes you comfortable that you're not perpetuating a false claim that you really believe that the claim is accurate. Mm-hmm. 
I guess the third option is wait and see if the IRS changes their mind, issues additional guidance, creates some sort of safe harbor for people to get right with yeah. the government, if you will, you know, when they find them. You know, this is all new stuff to us and, and to our clients. And I don't know we've ever had a situation where a claim produced this much money where the person preparing the claim took a substantial portion of it. So the taxpayers now having to give back more money than they actually got. Usually if it's a mistake yeah. on your tax return, you got the full amount of the money. And so <laughs> you're just giving what you got back here. You may be yeah. having to pay back 100% when you only got 80. Right. Well, it's definitely on the radar because we're, we're seeing warnings. In fact, every year around this time, the IRS, IRS puts out a list and they call it the dirty dozen, right? It's a list yes. of the 12 um, kind of scams to watch out for or, or something like that. And, and the f very first one, number one on the list, was, number one on the list was warning about the ERC claims and that the scrutiny that follows the aggressive promoters for making the offers too good for these small business owners, convincing them that they deserve the credit, qualify for the credit, credit when they really don't. So, I mean, that was number one. I mean, when you're at the top of the dirty dozen, that's, that's so good, Yeah, if this right? was the old, if when we used to show my age here, when all the music came out, you know, there was the billboard record chart, and it was always, you know, number one with a bullet, number five. This is number one with a bullet. This is, yeah. this is yep. at the top of their list. Huge dollars, big emphasis at the IRS. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Huge fraud being perpetuated within the claim. Mm -hmm. So it's it's going to be a problem. And we don't have a, a – I don't think we have an answer that anybody likes. Yeah. But – Yeah, and it's I don't, so much time. I don't know of any other thing to tell them. Yeah. It's just so much time and energy and a lot of dollars and a lot of risk. And what, we're going on three years of kind of – all of this tax credit scamming schemes, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So You'd figure the tell them how to fix it. Suggest they fix it. If they don't do that, send them back to the person who did the claim. And if they don't do that, then just disengage and tell them you're sorry. But you've been told, yeah. you know, yeah. you, you can't rely on this third party's information uh, without getting you in trouble. And I don't know. I don't know why I'd want to get in trouble for somebody else's money, but. Yeah, and, and just because you said that, that brings up a good point. If you were the one who, everybody makes a mistake, if you thought one of your clients qualified and you filed the forms, this is the time to make the correction, own up to it, make the correction. Right. And, and you know. Yeah, because if you did it, you, you should if you know did if you it, did it. You right should probably not. now, you know. And the law was, hey, it's confusing. I mean, you know. If, well, if it changed. What you and thought. Yeah. There was a lot of confusion about if you applied for a PPP loan and just threw a number on the PPP loan for wages, and then you looked at the retention credit, what number did you have to use? Could you use mm -hmm. what, you know? So, I mean, I'm look, I know there was probably, and, and those things were changing. and All this was happening in real time in the middle of a pandemic. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so I'm sure there's ones we made mistakes on, and so we definitely need to own up to our mistakes mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and fix them. All right, what else we have was on the dirty dozen minutes. list? Yeah, what else oh, we got on the oh, dirty, the dirty dozen list that we need to talk um, about? Anything? So the, here, well, there's always spear or fishing. That's new, maybe. Um, that's new. Um, well, the fuel credit that's becoming kind of one of those um, watch out for third party promoters of false fuel credit claims. So that's that's relatively new, I would say. 
Um, again, there's always the one about, you know, getting emails or text messages from the IRS. I will tell you right now, the IRS only contacts you by letter, by mail, yes. snail mail. So if somebody calls you and says they're calling from the IRS, do not fall for that one. But I mean, otherwise, there are similar ones about identity theft and um, that kind yeah, of Yeah, the one thing that was kind of new that's interesting that certainly hadn't, wasn't a problem a few years ago is they warn about getting bad tax advice on social media. Oh, yeah. That's a good you one. You know, we didn't have social media mm-hmm. not long ago. And so you would just have to worry about having your stupid neighbor give you bad tax advice. Now you can go <laughs> yeah. to Facebook, Twitter, wherever. And wherever, somebody can anywhere. put something up that looks just, well, it looks right to me, but be careful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your Google searches, always. I mean, yeah. just because it's so, on Google doesn't mean it's right. That's right. <laughs> sure. So. All right. L- moving away from the dirty uh, dozen, what else? Where do we want to talk about now? Um, how about it's amazing a little bit how much the, happens every day. Seriously, I know. I feel like something new. Um, so I think it was yesterday or two days ago, there was some information on the electric vehicle tax credits. Right. There was some proposed regs that days after that, followed by some new FAQs or revised FAQs by the IRS. And there's some stuff now, the term critical mineral that they're trying to define and you know making stipulations here. I mean, the goal is to be able to provide information and guidance to the public, but it's complicated. There's a lot of steps with the EV credit. Yeah. So, and it's, it's getting so, caught up in politics. We're talking yep. about all the credits that came out of the Inflation Reduction Act, which turned out to be more of a green energy bill than an inflation mm-hmm. reduction bill. Yeah, it did. But it, but it created a lot of credits for new uh, electric vehicles, and it, it tied it to production in the United States and certain percentages. Mm-hmm. And yep. it was, if you followed it, remember back, uh, Senator Manchin worked with the administration on producing the bill. Now the IRS is starting to issue some guidance on, you know, the details in the bill. Nothing's final yet. <laughs> There's out for comment. Senator Manchin is disappointed in it. He thinks they're not interpreting the bill the way it was intended. So now we've got some political turmoil going on with the whole idea of what are the, you know, how do I know where the car was finally manufactured? How do I know? If the battery, you know, all these things that are coming up Mm -hmm. and now politics have gotten into it. So we do have some FAQs. We have some proposed guidance. We're going to have to watch it closely because a lot of this stuff Mm -hmm. is effective now. Yeah, theoretically. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the credits are available now, I guess is a better way to put it. Yeah, it is something we're going to, we'll probably have to do a web uh, podcast on this one too. Yeah. Um, probably, we need a little bit more information so that we can kind of provide more of like a takeaway and, and steps and questions and the FAQs are good to find out. They are good. The, the question is whether they will be the final FAQs, you know, now that politics have creeped in, you know, mm-hmm. does pressure get shifted one way or the other? So I would, would if you have someone who's looking to, Buy a vehicle based on the credit. Look at the FAQs. They came out. I think I thought I had something in front of me. It was just came, a couple of days ago. Well, it says March 2023. It's 2023-8 is the FAQs ah, on it. So okay. that's the best we got right now. Uh, again, the guidance is proposed, but the FAQs are pretty good. But just you know, warn your clients something could change because mm-hmm. now politics are involved. Well, they were in the first yeah. place and they still are. So... I don't know why we're shocked, right. but there you go. All right. What else? 
Let's see. Oh, let's let's talk about that eighty billion dollars that the IRS is getting. Yep. What's happening with that? Because I'm starting. Speaking to, of it, politics. <laughs> yep. Back in the news, I I, I saw AICPA. Um, I know we sent similar letters asking them to please use it on infrastructure for taxpayer assistance for IT modernization. But what what what's up with it? Well, there's two things. The bill actually designated how that money was to be spent. It put so much in technology, so much enforcement, so much in service. I think mm-hmm. what AICPA was trying to get them to do was take money out of enforcement, put it more into service. What we reallocate, to, yeah, reallocate it. Mm-hmm. We really said, you know, I, I, that'd be great if you can do it. I don't know how easy that is to do, but <laughs> but the first thing you should do is fix the service before you worry about enforcement because. Number one, it's such a political hot potato that if you mm-hmm. start by enforcing the law and not improving service, you're going to feed right into your detractors' messaging. So, um, yeah. So it's it's political. The Republicans, I think, voted to repeal it, which means nothing because it can't pass the Senate or get signed by right. the president. So the service needs to to do a good job of spending the money. There are some people now. I think the general consensus. From everybody who's trying to look at this fairly without a political slight is focus on service. Make the system work better. Make it work like other customer service agencies before you start cracking the whip on enforcement. But sadly, enforcement's where the money is. So we'll see. Yeah. So so what about these armed agents? What do you (laughs) think, Roger? Well, you know, know you have to— the the real world sometimes gets in the way of good lines. Yeah. All we heard was there's 84,000 armed IRS agents out there. And I was on a call uh, a week or two ago with the IRS, and they're really concerned that there is a certain group in the population who believes that, that every IRS person now is armed. And they're concerned that there's going to be taxpayers who feel like they need to be armed when they meet the IRS agent. So I guess it's a level playing field. I, I don't know. And and they ask that us to makes... spread the word to our taxpayers and our business owners that the IRS agents are not armed. There's a very <laughs> small percentage at the Criminal Investigation Division who do some really nasty things and work, and they're not always just doing for the IRS. They may be involved in with the Secret Service and all kinds of people in right. foreign countries. That are armed, but the the person who you talk to or you visit with to audit you, to collect the money, is not packing heat when they come to see you. And But that's please, not what the, the media is saying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so do not fall into that. They're, they're concerned that they're going to have an ugly situation where someone's going to walk in, an agent's going to walk into a, a business, let's say, and be confronted by an armed taxpayer who believes that they're being challenged by an armed IRS agent. So they've asked Scary. that we get the message out to, to make sure people understand that's not true. Yes, there are certain people at the IRS that are armed. But I'm going to tell you what, if you run up on one of those, you got a lot bigger problems than the IRS armed agent. <laughs> I guess so. If criminal that's investigation comes knocking on your door, you got a big problem. So help get that yeah. word out there. We don't need to have somebody in a shootout with an IRS agent just because yeah, of something they heard on the not. media. Exactly. Um, all right, we're running out of time, um, but right. just a few other things. Um, you may have, you know, all of these storms and, and tornadoes and, and have multiple states have now have additional time to file some or 
July 31st. Some are a little different. So just a heads up, make sure um, you're checking states, um, especially one came those out today. That, Another one came yeah. out today for the last set of storm. Well, not the last, because so, those just happen over the weekend. So there'll be some yeah, more. Yeah, so we'll probably get out. some more. So we see them coming out uh, in various, you know, with various, di with different deadline dates, extended deadline dates. So just keep that in mind if you're filing, especially if you're doing a you know, a one-off state and you're not used to that. Yeah. Particular and remember, state. too, that some of these disaster claims obviously cover the taxpayer, but they also allow, if the practitioner was in that area, that their clients are covered by it because the practitioner oh, yeah, can't perform point. their duty. So, you know, so it's important if you work in or have clients in these impacted areas that you watch the IRS. They're pretty good about it. They're pretty quick about it. Like I said, one came mm -hmm. out today, and I think it was for the Arkansas, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it was. It was. The storm hit. And, you know, we're in that time of year where these kinds of storms happen. It seems like every day. Or I saw this morning there's some trouble. There's going to be some potential bad storms in the Midwest tomorrow and Wednesday. So, you know, if you're impacted by these or your clients are impacted by these, Watch for the IRS, and, and you're almost certainly going to be given some extended due dates to file different kinds and types of returns so that, you know. And then you've got the whole issue of how do you reconstruct records that may not exist. Yeah, that's going to also be very hard. I lived through Hurricane Katrina, and that was not fun. Not fun nope. at all. Um, and you probably don't. If, you, if your house disappeared, I'm kind of— <laughs> sure your records went with it so it went with it yeah i mean there's so, a lot of people do electronic stuff and you know save it in the cloud and the this right. and the that but but, but if you're not, the old-fashioned my shoebox yeah. in the back room had all my records in it you know. gone but yeah. the and but the irs recognizes that and there's there's court cases one of them cohen case or something about how to reconstruct records if they don't exist so mm -hmm. there's there's the irs is they try to be fair and they're not well they're certainly not perfect but they try to do things the best they can. So, all right, let's where are see. We? What else we got? Uh, we got some new FAQs for the 1099Ks. We've touched on that in some previous podcasts. Um, it's not; it doesn't affect this reporting year, but it is not going anywhere. And and the 1099Ks will definitely resurface. And there's some updated questions, both for like the general section, and then there's one for the individual section. Um, we will certainly, Roger and I will certainly revisit that, but. If you're getting 1099K questions, just know that there are some updated FAQs out there. And speaking of FAQs, there have been four new FAQs related to medical expenses. And it's kind of a odd type of medical expenses. All of them seem to be focused on health and wellness, weight loss right. programs, gym memberships, certain kinds of foods that you might be able to put in medical, um, certain over-the-counter drugs. So there's a focus. It's FAQ 9, 10, 12, and 13, I believe. Um, and so, I, you know, if, if, that's, if you have a client who, one, itemizes, would have enough medical expenses to make it matter, I guess take a look at these new FAQs. Um, there there yeah. are some examples. Fewer and fewer There's, people itemize, and then fewer that itemize can take medical. But it, you yeah. know, it might be a big deal for some of you. Yeah. One, one yeah. comment going back to the 1099Ks I mentioned I was in Washington oh, yeah. last week. The C Congress is aware of the debate about 600 being too low. But mm -hmm. here's a shocker. Republicans and Democrats can't agree what to do to fix it. They all agree that 600 is too low. I talked to offices that thought 5,000 was the right number. I actually talked to offices that didn't even think 25,000 was the right number because we're oh. moving more and more into a, 
a paperless society and Digital, they're yeah. concerned that 25,000 might not even be enough. So Congress is aware that the 1099K problem exists. That's that's a different being aware of it and fixing it are two different things. Coming to so, an agreement is almost impossible. Yeah. So until we get some kind of guidance, it's 600. It's just been mm-hmm. delayed a year. Again, right. the IRS has some good FAQs on what to do if uh, you have somebody that got a 1099K and some of the third-party people are gathering the information. What's interesting is yeah. somehow, and, and I think it may have been intentional, for anybody that uses Zelle, they're exempt from reporting. I did not know that. What makes they Zelle different? Some, I'd somehow they got something... Either the way the bill was written or the way they're set up is that if you use Zelle to transfer money, they're not going to give you a 1099-K. And they're pretty certain that they can get away with it. And Hmm. certain members of Congress agreed with them. So I don't know what makes Zelle different than Venmo than the other things. But right now, Zelle is your go-to if you want to buy 1099-K rules. And then other apps. Thanks for the tip. (laughs) Yeah. Other apps are just saying check business or personal and if you check business, you get a 1099K. If you check personal, you don't. Yeah. Well, what do you think everybody's going to do? I mean, they don't check personal. And so I don't know if this thing's going to be effective. It's going to be another pain in the you-know-what that we have to deal with. But yeah, yeah, that's the latest well, on that. Well, I like that advice. Yes. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not being paid or, by Zelle because I didn't know that. But there you go. That's okay. That's okay. Well, we are at the top of the hour. Take um, us home, Annie. This is it, man. We... We are so close to the end of tax season. Um, We do appreciate everyone joining us. Like us, share us, invite your friends. Um, And and feel free to post because we will be coming back. And if there's a topic that you want to hear about, um, yeah, send us comments. Good and bad. Yeah, we we want to try to make it better. And uh, absolutely talk about what you want us to talk about. Yeah. And good luck, Roger. Depending on when you're listening to this, as we record this, there's. About two more weeks, so hang in there. There'll be so something close. new, but it'll be this will be <laughs> over soon. This this too shall pass. That's true. And we'll be back with some more wonderful topics, hot topics, news. So thank you for watching and take care. Bye everybody. All content from this podcast by Small Biz Pros Incorporated, DBA Paget Business Services, is intended for informational purposes only.